Welcome back to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. And we're bringing to you tonight um, possibly a controversial movie. Um, we're hoping not. Uh, the Help uh, from 2011. Um, something that um, is uh, a little bit more relevant to the um, current goings-on in the country as well as... Uh, um, the, the overall conversation and more modern than some of the more recent films we've been doing. We're still trying to figure out how to uh, uh, position the show. So, We're going to see if uh, there are a few different options for how we stagger um, our movie choices per week and um, make sure that it's uh, palatable for the audience that we're not getting lost on some of these uh, older films that some of the audience may not have seen or um, but we are also hoping that you will try and watch some of these um, movies. So this one in particular uh, and the next three that we have up uh, that I mentioned last week on the show. Uh, so next week is Zodiac from 2005 from David Fincher, um, Silence of the Lambs from 1991 and uh, 19 I think 1985. Uh, E.T. from Steven Spielberg. So, but those are all on Netflix. So, uh, you know, there probably aren't too many Americans at this point that don't have access to some type of Netflix account um, at this point. So if you'd like to, please uh, go watch these movies and um, follow along so that we have a little bit better um, listener base. But, uh, well, I guess that's not the thing I wanted to say, but... um, you understand a little bit more of the conversation we're having. All right, so let's dive in as best as we can on this movie. Um, you and I were just talking briefly before we started the show that um, I had forgotten how much um, part of the con- or the debate or consternation over this movie. Um, this was um, included among an article um, highlighted in 2014 uh, over the decriment of uh, the so-called white savior in Hollywood. Um, this has been one of those like palatable uh, race relations movies. Um, and I think there are a lot of dense subject material to kind of... Um, put into this one. Um, so I, I'm hoping they have a good discussion on it. Um, but just for our normal um, listening audience, um, what is your original relationship to this movie? I think yours is about the same as mine. I saw the movie. Um, did not remember a whole lot about the movie. Um, I want to say that it's based on a book that uh, your mother read. That, that is I correct. Can't remember, yes. and and um, I think so. And she wanted to see it, so so like at some point we're planning on having mom in here to discuss some movies. Um, I know we have her booked for our eventual um, pillow talk um, movie review. Um, not to be crass, but that is actually the title of a movie uh, for the listening audience in case you haven't heard of it, but it is my mother's favorite movie. Um, 
that being said, uh, yes, it is a book that she originally read. Then she went and watched the movie because they were coming out about the same time. Loved the movie and then roped you and I into watching it um, later on when we got like the Blu-ray or whatever it was um, before the Oscars that year. And I remember liking the movie, but there were certain pieces of it that um, I, because I haven't seen it nor really sought it out uh, to watch, that I completely forgot. And I mentioned to you again, just before we started here, uh, I completely forgot Emma Stone was in this movie because that entire storyline, I'm, and you would think she's supposed to be like the primary character who drives a lot of the plot. Uh, it's pretty much her or Viola Davis. And I don't understand exactly how I forgot her in this movie, but um, I, I, I completely missed it. So, like, I didn't think when I picked this a week ago that this was quite as um, glossed over and uh, as, you know, some other potentially controversial subject choices, like when we eventually get to Driving Miss Daisy or when the embargo comes off and we have to talk about Green Book. You know, those are, like, highlighted ones. But, um, yeah, this this... This was interesting uh, on rewatch, and there are some different thoughts I had than what I originally thought I would be having uh, going into this one. So, um, all right, just the quick background on the movie. Uh, in 1960s Mississippi, Southern Society girl Skeeter, played by Emma Stone, returns from college with dreams of being a writer. She turns her small town on its ear by choosing to interview the black women who have spent their lives taking care of prominent white families. Only Abilene, played by Viola Davis, the housekeeper of Skeeter's best friend, will talk at first. But as the pair continue to the collaboration, more women decide to come forward. And as it turns out, they have quite a lot to say. Uh, as we noted, this is actually based on a book. Uh, I should note for the uh, sake of context um, that the woman who wrote the book was sued by her former housekeeper, uh, for um, basically taking her life story, or that was the allegation, uh, it was dismissed for uh, statute of limitations. But, um, you know, the fact that this even comes, or this story even um, arrives as a fictitious version of um, stealing a black person's story, or at least creating some narrative off of them, uh, already is setting this this potentially back. Okay, thanks for your input on that one. I'm. Let's just put it. Let's just put it this way. I am treading very carefully on this. Oh yeah, because I, I the the chances of saying something wrong are so high. Oh, yeah. I don't know what to say or not to say. I mean, it did portray what, you know, what it was like to be afraid to have police brutality in the film. Um, well, I mean, there's only one and treated incident like, like, that happens kind of off screen. But, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. It, it's It's... The only thing we haven't done to, like, completely pander to the discussion is have a token black friend on the podcast this week. Like, 
You better what you watch you using the term token at this point too. I understand, but like, you know, the the notion of okay, first up, disclaimer. If we say anything to offend someone, please write into the show, contact me in whichever manner so I can uh, allow you the space to ring me out because I am an ignorant white man. Uh, I will admit that freely, and I have severe blind spots because I grew up in a really white community and still live in one. So I'm going to attempt, attempt to give this as much context as I possibly can, but I am not a fit person to necessarily be having this discussion, yet if I'm not willing to be part of the discussion, I think that does prolong the problem. I, I guess we're, we're tiptoeing around it, but we do have to kind of like um, dive in a little bit. So uh, for recognition purposes, we'll just cut to that. Um, this movie was nominated for Best Picture at the time. It was nominated for Best Actress for Viola Davis and Best Supporting Actress Jessica Chastain. Um, it also won for Best Supporting Actress for Octavia Spencer. Um, so, being extremely careful, what is this movie about? It is about racism and at the same time, reliance. I mean, you are racist to the point that you will not allow black women to use your bathroom, but you have no problem with them raising your children. The dichotomy of it, okay? And they show right. this repeatedly, okay? It also raises the specter of what I've commented about, and I come at this as being, okay, this this took place slightly before and slightly after the Kennedy assassination, because it is in the film. All right? I wanna, yeah, I was going to say, because uh, Medgar Evers was just before Kennedy, if I remember right. It was the summer of 63? I want to say it was, eight, it was August of 63. And, okay, so okay. that's what's going on here. So just remember, I was born five days after. So I come at this as being a child, a product of this time frame. Yes, I remember, I remember race to. riots. I rem on being seeing them on TV. I remember, um, I remember when Martin Luther King was shot barely. I remember when Robert King or Kennedy was shot barely. Okay, so I remember integrated uh, busing. I remember. Uh, integrating the colleges. I remember uh, Lester Maddox is uh, the governor of um, Alabama making his, was Alabama or Georgia? I can't remember offhand. Making, I think it was Georgia now that I'm thinking about it, making his racial comments about entry into the university system. So I remember a lot of this. And I grew up in Beloit, which was a, had a fairly large minority population for Wisconsin. Okay. So I grew up in this, but I'm still coming at this as a white male who is privileged, okay? And, Extremely. And yes, all right, so I, I can understand. Now, 
I will say this. This movie portrays bigotry and racism in over uh, in overt terms. It's clear. Okay? The problem is, is anymore, I think it started in that time frame up north. It was open in the south. At least in the south, you knew who the racists were. Okay? Yes. The problem is, is it highlights gonna, that gonna... up here in the north and now, the racists have been driven underground. And so, so the racism pops up in other places and in other ways. Uh, what was the kid that got uh, Trayvon Martin? Um, you know, it became a euphemism. He was wearing a hoodie. Well, he's a black kid. That's what that meant. And so you have to be... Uh, or urban or thug or certain other phraseology that's used, you know, and we, we joke and we've made fun of for previous history, you know, the sports commentator's language of um, when they describe either black athletes or um, white athletes and, you know, oh, well, that guy is just a really hard worker. Okay, he's going to be white. Oh, that guy's really eloquent. Oh, he's definitely black, but he's well-spoken. Like, there, there's certain pieces around it, but I do agree, and it was a part I was going to bring up as part of a late, later discussion, So, but we'll, we'll go into this now. It's one of the big problems I have with this and that I'm realizing now is these are the comfortable films for white people because it makes uh, certain racism so overt that you're like, oh, I'm not like that, so I must not be so bad. Um, I'm not, you know, trying to make everybody have separate toilets or uh, that um, you can't basically eat out of the same trough or whatever it is. You know, I'm not um, stopping people for um, no good reason to um, cause problems or I'm not beating people or all these other things that are the extreme versions. But it's all the small little things sometimes that we don't even realize that that's where we're at currently that has more to say. This is just and this is where I'm going to go about it. So what is this movie about? Um you remember the line that's constantly throughout the film. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. All, basically, it's all lives and stories matter, but it's the Disney version of it. And when I say the Disney version, literally Disney's the distributor of this movie because it was Touchstone Pictures. So this is this is like the like glossed over. Let's, it doesn't matter. Disney was the distributor. Because right. Touchstone had the, the production piece, even if DreamWorks was putting it out. So, ultimately, um, you know, and I, I think I'm finally starting to get it in the same way where um, you have certain other things. Or, like, the way we talked about, like, hidden figures a few years ago. And I'm like, I didn't think it was, like, the Disney version. I, I thought it was kind of nice and you know, whatever else, but you kind of get a different sense of it when you uh, start to really understand what they were talking about to begin with. This notion of um, the the extreme version to make ourselves feel better because I'm not that bigoted or, you know, I'm not that guy, therefore I must be okay. And yet it, it's part of that piece of it. At the same time, I have very complicated feelings about the white savior discussion, which we'll save, but 
that that I understand it and I understand the point they're making, but I I do have a little bit of pushback on that ultimately because of something else. So, but we'll get to that um, as far as it goes. So here's the dilemma that you face. Okay. You have to look at two different aspects of, of the situation for this film. Okay. It portrayed the senseless bigotry that they had to endure. Okay. And yes, it was made more palatable for a white audience but it did expose you to bigotry of uh the deep south in the 1960s right at the beginning of the real major portion of the civil rights movement if you would have come out and done a film that showed the inherent bigotry that exists in culture overall what how many white people would actually bother to listen to it or watch it or would be so turned off by it that they wouldn't pay attention to the story or try to even understand it? So it's almost that they talk about police or the brutality, the dehumanization of blacks in this country. But by the same token, you can't just cut us off and say you either have to agree with us completely right now or you're just out of it. You're out of control or you're not worth dealing with. All right. So it, you have to bring us along. And this film does do that. You have to come to some terms with what's going on and you have to be able to be educated. You can't. It's not like jumping into the deep end of the pool uh, on a cold day. I, I I disagree a little bit because you know part of the discussion is the notion of white fragility that, that we're not capable of handling uh, some of the sins of our fathers sometimes or seeing our mistakes or um, past um, wrongdoings and accepting them as our responsibility even though, you know, it may, maybe not directly, but it certainly is indirectly. Um, we are the product of what, what we've done in the environment that we do, and only by our actions currently do we have the ability to do anything about it. So I, I, I'll point to this, and I'll make an analogy that makes um, or pulls in a slightly different part of the conversation. What's the difference between... Um, the greatest story ever told and passion of the Christ. That to me is the difference between uh, this movie and the movie that won best picture two years later, 12 years a slave. Like you want to depict the just gross and an intense or um, intense nature of um, the way we've, collectively historically treated black people and we we are and i think there are a lot of ways in which you know uh 12 years a slave won best picture and uh we had um moonlight which was like this celebration of um both uh black culture but lgbt um forwardness and then we get um you know green book everybody's saying that that's a setback and but it's kind of the way in which we've gone through this decade that maybe it'll be remembered 20 years from now is this 
back and forth slinky nature where we had to kind of, um, I, I don't want to use the term wake up, but like, because it's cliche, but ultimately that we were just starting to deal with some of those pieces. Um, and that was post, you know, when we solved racism by electing a black president. So, oh, yeah. I heard that, too, when, when uh, Colin Paul was named uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I had a judge uh, who's long since dead who would make every black uh, child, you know, in a, in a juvenile delinquent hearing, would make them, would lecture them and go, you know, your, your days of saying you can't succeed are gone. Do you realize that we have an African-American as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And I remember this is in like 1990, and I'm going, okay, and what does that do for you? The army, at least, is is based on merit. Well, uh, and it's the know, most integrated version of the government that we probably have. You know, and it just it never it didn't cross his mind that that's not an exhibit of race or that doesn't resolve racism. Really, this is, and let me, I've been really trying to think of this and come to terms with this. The number of times I hear people use the term, well, we only act this way towards African Americans because they have such a high incident of crime in their uh, population. Okay. We've heard it from one end of our dinner table for how many years? I know. So, but here's the problem with that concept. Okay. Did we, by the nature of how we have dealt with African-Americans in this country, from the moment they're born and the fact of what their parents have had to live through, created an atmosphere where they have not as much hope, not as much promise, and a great deal of frustration so that we basically create a situation where they're bound to be not necessarily in step with what white culture expects or wants. You want to know one of the most um, systemic, and uh, this is maybe an outside um, discussion, but I'll put this. One of the more systemic pieces of um, si or uh, ingrained racism in the country, property taxes. Property taxes basically set up white communities to remain exactly the way that they're supposed to. They set up their schools, they set up everything else. And by creating this system whereby that's the only means by you paying for certain things in your local community, uh, where most of the governmental decisions, most of the stuff that impacts you directly happens, you're setting up a separate but equal system. Pure okay. and simple. And, and now I think back on this. There was a few years ago a best-selling book written by a former Marine called uh, The Other Wes Moore. And what it was, the story was, is this guy became a um, decorated Marine and uh, became an author, became a motivational speaker, all this. But yet there was another guy from his community around Detroit whose name was Wes Moore. And that guy murdered a police officer and was, on, uh, was serving life imprisonment. And what they both grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, with single mothers, and why is it that he turned out that way and the other Westmore turned out in prison? And he went through his life story, and it was a lot about 
the fact that his mother would not stand for certain behaviors or certain influences. And so she actually worked a second job to help put him into a um, private school, a military academy, so that he was out of the inner city of, of Detroit. And that was the difference in his life. Well, if you think about just that aspect and then turn it to the fact that so many uh, African-Americans don't have that option, do not have any hope, any belief that they could ever succeed, what do you expect the result is going to be? We haven't crime? created a um, equal starting point um, by which they can get a... Um, footing on that and then we try and make up for it with things that um seemingly uh, create more problems than they solve like affirmative action where we have a weird back and forth discussion where i don't even know where the playing field is on that one but we're trying to like retcon stuff that should have been taken care of by i don't know creating better schools hiring better teachers because we were able to invest more in other communities but by singling out and creating property tax being one of the primary um, barometers by which you can uh, create your community systems, then that's going to be the only thing that solves it. And in you know where the real estate is not high and you can't charge huge property taxes or where there aren't wealthy people, of course you're not going to be able to get a lot of money to improve the schools. So it's just a system continually repeating itself. Well, and then take into account also the some of the other problems, which is, for example, uh, Wisconsin has workfare. Wisconsin works, W-2. Okay? Instead of having um, the poor, which are tend to be uh, a lot of minorities, especially in places like Madison and Milwaukee, well, uh, you're now taking them away from raising their children and being home. And what what's happening to the children? I mean, the whole concept of AFDC was to pay or allow mothers to be at home to raise their children. And you you got to like be systematic. You're, you're treading on the toes of another potential discussion of landmines. So I'm just going to warn you that, you know, this this notion of that, um, you know, well, this let's is gonna... be careful on that, that point. I, I don't want to get into this um, America is better because of families discussion. That is a whole other bag of fun. I'm not going there. That's not my point. My point is is that there are so many things. I mean, this is an onion. Okay? Right now we have a blight on the onion, which is the brutality of police uh, in general. I have witnessed police brutality towards uh, on two occasions to a suspect. Okay, and both times I did nothing. I didn't say anything. I didn't make a complaint. I just watched it because, hey, that's a police officer. I don't know anything about policing. I'm going to let them handle it because they're the professionals. And, you know, and I'm sure that there are multiple times that that's happened across this country and with people who are not any worse intending or have any worse intentions than I did, which is I didn't really have any reason to be upset or uh, having any hatred towards the defendant or anything about it. But I just gave the benefit of the doubt to the police. 
I, I'm sure Are I'm not saying alone. now that you not only think differently, but you because if you're thinking about that now, there's got to be some sense of guilt. Well, there is because I can remember both instances really clearly yet to this day. I can tell you right where it took place and what was I was doing. So obviously these two incidences are burned into my memory. Okay. Anyway, I mean, I suppose, I mean, this is a full discussion in and of itself, and maybe we're treading too far afield, but... Um, well, yeah, but I think for the full rounded context of the discussion that needs to happen for this film, and we've kind of wandered in some different places, and I figured we were going to once we got on tonight, but... Um, it kind of needs to. You need to provide as much context in order to discuss something like this fairly. So, well, and and maybe we need to. I mean, we could really do this as a number here. We could, we could as soon as it's available again, do Gone with the Wind, and then there's a couple of different Spike Lee films that would be. Well, I mean, appropriate to watch. Yeah, the, the one that I still want to find um, is almost never on streaming. So, and that's his most famous one, um, Do the Right Thing. Um, yeah. I mean, th there are there are a few that we could potentially do. I don't know how much we want to dip into it after we do this one. Like, take a break, breathe a little um, for having flown kind of close to the sun a little bit for two um, very privileged white guys. But, um, well, uh, I mean, but I, the problem I'm having, for example, the, is, is that I, I just got done seeing an interview that Jon Stewart gave. Okay, I didn't see it. I mean, I read it. He did an interview. And immediately, I then find an article written by a African-American activist who just raked him over the coals. And I'm going, when I heard Jon Stewart's comments, I thought they were perfectly reasonable and, and, and enlightened. And now I read this other article, and I'm going, oh my, I have no idea what's right. I have no idea what's wrong. I am like completely lost as to what is what I'm supposed to think, feel, believe, try to understand, um, try to figure out what I'm supposed to do. <clears throat> and maybe the best thing to do is to separate from this for not just uh, a week or two, but for a couple of months and let this thing kind of sort through. And maybe through time, more of this will become clearer to us or understanding. Because I am certainly at a loss for what exactly it is. I, I take the exact opposite approach, to be honest. I know I'm going to be wrong. Um, and I'm probably going to say some stupid things. I'm likely completely ignorant to something that I, I'm going to say. But I'm going to try, and then I will make corrections. You know, we're so afraid of... Every comment could be your last in public or you could be canceled or whatever else. And I, I'm sorry, I, I just, 
I, I refuse to be that one thing unless you have, you know, uh, you're making or uh, repeating some type of um, weird David Duke speech. I, I'm just to to write somebody. Well, OK, I'm sorry. Roseanne Barr needs to be canceled. And that has almost nothing to do with any of her opinions. It's just I don't like her. But that's that's beside the point. Anyway, the point being um, that we're going to have to have patience because I'm not going to get it right the first time. I'm not going to get it right the second time. I'm probably not going to get it right the first 30 times. But if I'm trying to get better, if I'm trying to be better each day and make an effort, I hope that's at least something because I, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to know what to say. I well, And here's the thing, too. Where we live and where we are and such, it's not like I wouldn't have any African-American friends. I've had African-American friends in law school and in college and such. It's just I don't have any here. So I can't go and say I'm, I'm trying to understand. Explain something to me. Who am I going to talk to about it? Okay, that that's that's somewhat fair. I mean, I, there is plenty of material, but I don't even think there's agreement within the black community right now as to where everybody is, other than there definitely needs to be certain reforms enacted. Outside of that, like... I don't know where where any line is or what anything's going to be done, but that's that's probably enough on the greater conversation, at least, so we can start discussing the rest of the movie. All right. So. All right. Best performance. Um. I, I, I really I liked uh, Octavia Spencer in this a lot. Um, I think she gets most of the best like comedic lines, so she gets the opportunity to shine on that. But I can definitely see. I mean, she won the Oscar for God's sakes. Yeah. Is that who you're going with? I guess I would have to. I'm gonna go with Viola Davis. Um, I said at the time, um, that I thought she deserved it at that point. Um, now to be fair, she was going up against probably the pillar of Hollywood acting in Meryl Streep, who won for playing Margaret Thatcher. But, and she has subsequently won an Oscar, but I... I don't think I have this place down anywhere where I can confirm it. Not that it matters anyway, but I'm pretty sure that I thought at the time she should have won best actress for that. Um, but okay. Um, I still, for both of them in particular, this was a launching pad movie. Um, yes. like she's won an Emmy. She's won an Oscar. She's been in a ton of stuff. Um, since that point, Octavia Spencer uh, has been in a bunch of different things, um, but I, I still 
thought they did the best because they brought certain personality to each of these pieces and were real characters, even if it didn't always, it, it wasn't the primary point sometimes of the film. So, uh, best minor performance. Depends on how much you consider minor. I mean, I, I, I liked, uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, and I also liked Allison Janney. Well, okay. First off, nobody likes Bryce Dallas Howard in this film. You just no. think she does such a good job being utterly despicable. Yes, that's what I'm getting at. Because everything I'm I'm reading about her and everything I've seen about her, she's probably as nice as her dad. Yeah. And so she, this was a big acting job by her to be such a bitch. You think of all of the people that were in this film um, from one thing or another uh, that are bigger stars now, at least for women, you know, that had multiple Oscar nominations or bigger franchise. I mean, Bryce Dallas Howard went on to be a part of a huge uh, movie franchise later on in the decade in the Jurassic World movies. Um, Jessica Chastain got nominated for multiple Oscars after the fact. Um, you have, and I can't think of her name now, but um, one of the friends who ends up being uh, or part of the Bridge Club, who um, is part of the Pitch Perfect movies, uh, Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer. Um, I mean, they're they're just people all over the place, even in smaller roles. Uh, the pastor of the church is David Ayalowo, Um, for gosh sakes. I mean, yeah, they're they're just this movie is littered with people we know now. Like we didn't at the time, but we definitely know them now. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, oh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. But oh, Emma Stone. I mean, she won an Oscar later in the decade. So, I mean, this was one where she was transitioning away from being, like, the teen um, actress toward being something more dramatic and serious. <laughs> but, because, yeah. like, up until this point, I think her two most notable films were Easy A and Super Bad. But, anyway. So, uh, I, I had down Octavia Spencer for this because... I don't think you can really separate most of the movie. It does not work without those two strong performances. Like you can't just color over there. Um, and I, I don't mean that as um, irony or um, a pun or anything. Else. I'm just, it was a turn of phrase, but you can't, this movie certainly doesn't work without them. And it only works because of them in that same vein. Yeah. The the strength of their personality just comes through in so many ways. Um, all right. Most charismatic? Uh, um, good question. That's a difficult one. Um, right, I'll do... I did Jessica Chastain, and it's for yeah. one very distinct reason. For, and this is just me on a personal level, and it's not meant to be something else or part of a larger discussion. Oh, of course he chose the white woman. No, it's, 
that vulnerability and the drive of uh, a lot of white men to um, save the lonely crying girl. Yeah. You know, you want to play the, the superhero type that uh, saves the damsel in distress. And that's basically all of her character through this movie. Like, she plays a hard ass in so many other movies, um, notably Zero Dark Thirty, um, where I'm pretty sure she was also nominated for. But in this movie, she's much more vulnerable and accessible. And for whatever reason, it just plays well that way. So... Honorable mention to Leslie Jordan, who is the editor of the newspaper. This guy's a long-time character actor who is just, every time you see him, he just, he pops off the screen because he's just so flamboyant and colorful. Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention um, that uh, Allison Chaney was a huge part of this film, too, and she's also won an Oscar. So, yeah. I mean, this decade, no less. So, um, an Oscar, an Emmy. I don't know about Tonys. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about a Tony either, but um, I would doubt she's won a Grammy. But I mean, she and might she's taking be... and she's taking over the Comiskey Acting School from Michael Douglas. Oh, she's damn suited for it. Like, uh, she might be. I don't say this lightly. That, She's that in the conversation for greatest living actress right now. That was uh, that was the cliffhanger for season two of the Comiskey Method, which is um, Allison Janney ends up on a, like a coup taking over uh, the Comiskey acting school uh, because you know at least she's won an Emmy and a and a and an Oscar. What's he won? Yeah, okay, I didn't realize that you were bringing in an also-on-Netflix show. Yes. So, um, <laughs> all right, so did you have a most charismatic? You just said your honorable, honorable mention, but... Um, really, for the comic relief, even though she's been around forever, <laughs> Sissy Spacek. Yeah. I can buy it. And whenever she was on the screen, you were drawn to her. She's 70 years old. Now or during the movie? Now. Oh. All right. You know, and I mean, I remember loosely seeing her in her first big film, which was Carrie, which was a uh, Stephen King. What is, I think, one of the first Stephen King novels to be turned into a film. And, uh, um, you know, and then she did Coal Miner's Daughter and on and on. So she's been a longtime actress and has been around in Hollywood. And she's now getting those uh, elderly woman parts and doing a good job of it whenever she is able to find something in which to act. Yeah. She will come up again later here in the episode, so. But I think that's probably a really good spot to cut for one of our sponsors. Uh, we'll come back with uh, best scenes and best lines uh, before we get to the grading. And welcome back. Uh, all right, so we're gonna where we left off was uh, the best scenes. Uh, I have 
watch. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven scenes nominated. Um, all right. So the intro to the Bridge Club. Uh, essentially, this is the setup for um, revealing how bad Hilly Holbrook is and the uh, separate bathrooms bill that she wants the governor to take up. <laughs> and it's it's basically just, it, it's a good setup scene. Um, it's really um, just giving you your first taste into who her character is going to become and that she's the villain of this film. Um, number two, just because I thought this was a, a, a great scene just overall, um, even though it is, um, I'll probably put this as a downgrade in my overall for classicness. Are you having unnatural thoughts about women? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Allison Janney's, like, uncomfortable conversation because, oh, my God, my daughter might be single. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that does not um, play well on the classicness aspect. Uh, all right. Constantine helped Skeeter to believe in herself. It was just a nice little moment where um, they kind mm. this insight into why uh, the quote-unquote white savior of the movie who decides that she wants to tell the story of black people, um, particularly maids, and why she would even be interested to begin with because she has an affection towards, as she puts it uh, many times over, the woman who raised her and helped her through all of the crap her mother flung at her. So... By the way, uh, is this the first time you've ever seen anything that Cicely Tyson has ever done? Is that the... Um, Constantine. Yeah, I don't remember her from anything else, so I don't know. I'd have to look at her filmography. She did a lot of work in the early 70s when she was a, a young actress. Um, and then kind of fell off. Uh, my guess is that she was probably raising a family and then got to that point where... I mean, how many, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, how many middle-aged black women roles were there? Well, how many black women roles, period? Like, yeah, well. So, uh... So, I'm just trying to look her up once and see if I the diary of on uh, chips diary of uh, uh, no. Miss Jane Brody I want to say that that won her an Emmy it was a like a one of the early mini series where she was an old or she played the part of a old woman from who has been part of the Underground Railroad. And then uh, they're interviewing her. She's old, and then they would flash back. <laughs> I remember watching that as a kid. Uh, apparently she was in House of Cards, but it might have been episodes I didn't see because I stopped watching it um, 
it kind of went off a weird clip for me and I, I never even bothered finishing the show. There are several shows where like it just gets so far from what it originally was that I just can't continue. And I'm trying to look and uh, we're taking a weird sidestep for this particular one. Um, I guess I saw Roots. She was in that. Yes, yeah, she was. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have remembered her because we watched that in like grade school and I would, but I had no idea. Uh, she was in an episode of Mission Impossible, but who knows? I mean, she was in an episode of the Cosby Show and some other stuff. So I, yeah, this might be the only thing that I'm aware of for. Um, yeah. But, okay. And, and that's fine. So, um, the uh, first scene with Minnie meeting Celia... Um, basically just cause, um, Celia, uh, is used to everybody turning her down and, um, not trying to help her or whatever else. And it was just a fun comedic scene that kind of let, um, both of the two characters really shine and gave you the, the impetus of what their relationship was going to be ongoing, um, past that point. So, um, next one I had, uh, what's law going to say? You have to be nice to your maid. Essentially the scene where, uh, Minnie decides to help and answer questions, um, in order to help write the piece. And it just, uh, again, it's another one where Octavia Spencer, she, she has most of the best lines and probably most of the best memorable scenes from this particular movie. Um, and the, it's just another one where she's given the opportunity to really kind of step forward and she's turned the tables by being intimidating towards, um, Emma Stone, who's like kind of shuts down for a minute you know, I got to ask the questions myself too, you know, that type of stuff. So, um, number or number six, uh, you'll may arrested, uh, the new maid who ends up taking over for many. Um, it's the one real incident where we get, or we broach the current topic of what we have now. Um, she's arrested by the police. She's struggling. There's, uh, a dispute. And finally she's like beaten, Severely, and that's really yeah. the turning point where all the maids um, see what's capable. It, you know, even if they stay silent, it's it's not going to end well for them. So they might as well start fighting back, even if um, you know it it may hurt them because it's not like they're in any better situation anyway. And at least this way, they have a say in what their story is going to be. Um, one of the funnier scenes of the. Um, uh, movie, bring your old commodes <laughs> and all of the, so you get all the, the toilets sitting on the front lawn and you get that uh, precious little scene of the little girl ending up squatting and thinking she's so proud because she's using the potty on her own. And then of course she gets spanked because, you know, <laughs> so, all right. Uh, number eight. Uh, what I also have down as my most indelible moment, the chocolate pie scene. Yes. I mean, 
by far. And it's the thing that my mother talked about to try and rope us into this thing. It was the thing she was laughing about. It's the thing that she kept bringing up with grandma after the movie is this retribution scene where she gets one over on it and they keep bringing it up throughout the film. So it, it really is that scene. If you, it, it's hard to really convey, convey every piece of that. It will come up here. Uh, cause I have one of the quotes, um, down, but, uh, you know, it will, it's just, it, it conveys most of this movie. And it's the one area other than the book where somebody kind of got the upper hand for once, but yeah. All right. Um, Skeeter finally re- realizes the truth about Constantine or, um, her mother tells her, um, it was just, It's probably one of the emotional highs of the movie, even though it's not... And maybe that's a part where we might knock it down because it's focusing on the white person's relationship to all of these maids more than anything else. But it does give the resolution to uh, Emma Stone and Alice and Janney and kind of sets up some of those ending sequences, which, you know... um, Maybe it shouldn't have been the, the primary piece of this movie, but that's that's another argument's sake. So, um, Hilly storms up to uh, uh, the, I don't know, what, what Skeeter's last name or even, but basically goes over to their um, house and gets told off by her mom. Um, ultimately, that's just a scene specifically where um, you get that feel good of um somebody's made that catharsis or made that change where um maybe they've kind of realized their past actions and are trying to make amends even as terrible as some of their actions have been and then finally number 11 the last scene um abeline confronts hilly who um basically goes through a power play to get her fired and it's the um, real emotional conclusion that this movie needed in order to be where it was um, that focuses back on uh, Viola Davis and her relationship with the child and, you know, all of the things that uh, go into that and how they've made this up to be. So do you have any others that you'd like to throw in there? Yeah. uh, Skeeter and her boyfriend uh, having the confrontation and ending the relationship on the porch. Um, that was symbolic of the end of Skeeter's um, trying to still retain her um, her foot in the old South. At this point, she's been rejected by the South, and she's her future is going to be uh, in the North and away from this life. Yeah. I didn't want to put too many in here and there, there were a few that I um, tossed out just for the sake of time. But um, I, I definitely, I, I would tend to agree on your, your conception of that one. It does have that emotional resonance you're looking for. My problem only with that is, is it's still part of the Skeeter um, scenes of that. And so Ultimately, I guess if I'm going to choose a best scene, I'm going to choose the last one 
just because it's it's the true crux of what this film should have and kind of was. It is a compl- or a confrontation between the over the top bigoted character in Hilly versus um, the maid who started it all. And in relation to you know, I mean, you have May Mobley, the child, crying at the end because she's not coming back. And she doesn't know what she's going to do without her. Yeah. So that that, that is to a good me, scene. I, well, that's I just probably think it's the, the most pivotal scene. scene. I admit, but I really liked the scene with the bridge club because that just portrayed these women as what they were, which was, um, uh, you know, it, it was a hen party. I mean, these people right. were so incredibly superficial. They didn't have a thought in their head between them, except how to be bigoted and how to down well, other people in order to make themselves look better. That that is the more important part of it. Is is I you know I I don't know if I'd go quite as strongly, but there it's an exclusivity aspect. We only feel good about ourselves by excluding others. So, uh, favorite scene? I'll chocolate go with pie. Just because I have that as our chocolate pie is my most indelible moment. I'll bring. I'll do the bring your old commodes. Just because I thought both of them were very funny. But, um, all right. So, uh, best line. I have a few nominees. I, I will just slowly get to these. If you have any other ones, let me know. Uh, Abilene to May Mobley. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. Just because, and again, I bring that one back around, it was kind of part of my what is this movie about, but um, I do think it sets a certain tone for the movie that, yes, she's saying it to the child so that they have a certain level of self-esteem, but she's also, it's kind of like a self-affirmation in a sense. And it comes to be a recurring part of the theme, or at least what the movie is attempting to live up to, even if it misses the mark. So, number two, Mrs. Walters, I may have trouble remembering my own name or what country I live in, but there's two things I can't seem to forget. That my own daughter threw me in a nursing home and that she ate many shit. Good night. <laughs> and it's it's the crux of um, Sissy Spacefix's character in this movie. So it's just a fun one to include because yet yep. again, it's the chocolate pie. So anyway, uh, Abilene, what if you don't like what I've got to say? Skeeter, this isn't about me. And again, this is um, telling of what the movie should have been. It should have been the story of the maids and it too often... Uh, creeps into there are there are probably way too many scenes of Skeeter with um, her dating life there are too many scenes of her with her mother and how she's dealing with all of this when it probably should have been focusing on the help I mean it's the freaking title of the the thing um, she's just an avenue to it but uh, we'll get to this here and when we get to grading a little bit um Hilly, I've drafted the Home Health Sanitation Initiative. Skeeter, the what? A bill that requires every white home to have a separate bathroom for the help. 
Maybe we should just build you a bathroom outside, Hilly. <laughs> Skeeter, I got a job today. Charlotte, where? Writing for the Jackson Journal. Great, you can write my obituary. Charlotte Phelan dead, her daughter still single. There are so many passive-aggressive lines in this movie. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, any other ones that you'd like to add? Um, the... the uh, my son said that there was going to be a writer in this family. I can't remember the exact quote. I guess that's going to be me. Yeah, I think that's part of the ending monologue. There was a lawyer in the thing, and then it was at the end. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the exact timing. Uh, so, as far as best line, I'll go with, you was kind, you was smart, you was important. I will do my honorable mention um, for the idealism line. Uh, what if you don't like what I've got to say? This isn't about me. Um, any different thoughts? No, I'll agree with that. And then it's probably a debate between the other ones. They were more of um, the uh, uh, funniest pieces. So I'll go with the Mrs. Walters, but did you have another one that you might have had? Um, no, I mean... Leslie Jordan, I mean, close the damn door. <laughs> he every time he spoke, he's got that that lilt in his voice that's just it, it's just funny no matter what he says. Yeah. Um, but anyway, oh yeah, another person that uh, I didn't highlight, but uh, Mary Steenburgen. Yes. Also in this film. Like, they pop up all over here that I'm forgetting half of them, but I'm just remarking uh, while I was watching it the other night for how many, like, big actresses are in this movie. So, anyway. All right. So, are you ready for the grading? Sure. All right. Uh, what do you have down for Legacy? Uh, seven. So, I debated this one a little bit. Uh, what's your argument? Well, it's already becoming outdated. No, we're we're nine years on, and it's it's becoming outdated. And also, I don't think I've seen too many people bring up this movie um, a lot after the Oscars. So if it has a legacy, oh. and this is where I struggled in between the the two pieces of it, um, I'll go with a five, but. Really, I think its only legacy is is the amount of big-time actresses that either got uh, their launching pad or whatever out of this movie. Um, you know, this is a primarily, uh, well, not primarily, it's an almost exclusively female-led cast. Yes. And it gave a lot of opportunities. I mean, we've already mentioned the amount of people that went on to win Emmys or Oscars or whatever um, that were a part of this movie after this movie um and it just for a industry that has at least in even 2011 i mean we're not even to the point yet in 2011 where we got to the oscars so white 
um, incidents, but um, that we had opportunities for key roles that got won an Oscar and launched careers for several of them uh, for minority women and for just women in general. Um, I think that more than anything is its its legacy, but I can't give it a whole lot of credit on just about anything else. This had the most uh, female leads or the most female dominant cast that I had seen probably since Steel Magnolias had been out um, probably 20 years earlier. Yeah. I, it kinda, I, that one, I mean, kind of launched Julia Roberts' career. It launched uh, um, Olivia, or Olympia, uh, Olympia Dukakis. Um, I mean, they had been acting before, but this kind of put them on the map. So, so impact significance. I think at the time, you know, it was uh, nominated for several Oscars. It won one. Um, I think it was part of a cultural thing. I mean, this movie made quite a bit of money at the time. Um, and it was part of the pop cultural lexicon. So I went with a six, but it's a very soft six. Um, I guess we never settled on legacies. So if we took the difference between yours and mine and averaged it out, that's a six for legacy. But um, the impact significance, I, I I don't see, it's not like it solved racism or gave us a whole lot of extra insight or um, whatever else. I think most of its backing was, is you had a female led movie um, that part of the primary storyline was about um, minority women um, from the 60s who you finally gave a shot and they really shined. And they've gone on to, you know, do some extraordinary stuff so far. So um, I guess I'll put that as a six, but again, it's a soft six. I had a five. Because, okay. because I just didn't... I mean, this was a one one blip on the radar. Uh, it's not like it had a major impact on much other than the the launching of several careers. There were so many films that have been released since that have had more to say about that era. Well, or minority cultures in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll put something like Parasite in that level that you have an international foreign film about class um basically warfare uh that wins best picture i mean i couldn't have fathomed that 10 years ago there's just no way so um but it, i mean it is part of that so um all right so that puts us at five and a half for that one uh novelty i Moved it up slightly because there are not a lot of movies with a hugely female-led cast. And again, there are not a lot of guys in this movie. All of the husbands seem to leave whenever there's something going on. Probably the most um, significant, because he's in multiple scenes, uh, there are two significant black men that are in this movie. The uh, guy named Henry who works the counter at the drugstore... And the pastor played by David Oyelowo. Other well, than that, and the one the one black guy who also is a, a pivotal role is never seen. Leroy. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's true. I'll, I'll grant you that. But like, and again, that that comes in in some of the complaints 
about this movie that I don't know if I'm equipped to levy. Uh, that just reading some of the reviews or uh, stuff at the time. So, but I went with a five because, you know, it did open the door on a couple of movies and where we were going to go with the rest of this decade. But it's not like it was saying anything that was overly new, but it did also give a lot of opportunities to women. So I can't fault it from that as far as a novelty standpoint. It probably won't age the same in novelty, but at least where I'm sitting right now, that's where I got to go. Five and a half. All right. So you went with a five and a half or you're settling? That's where I am. All right. So then that we got to put it as a five to five. But all right. So. Uh, what did you have down for classicness? So I had a two and this is probably the lowest I've ever gone on any one particular category so far. I'd have to rewind the tape, but, um, I didn't think this while watching the movie. But I've certainly been influenced by reading and researching this after the fact and the way certain people feel about it. So number one, we went through the Me Too movement, which this is not served very well for because there's certainly issues of um, abuse and um, wife beating, particularly in Octavia Spencer's um issue and they just kind of gloss over it where she'll have a mark or two and they'll make a comment or I don't want to go home tonight or the one phone call where she's getting beaten up while she's on the phone or and but then they just resolve it where everything's off screen number one and then she just leaves Leroy with her children and then that's that like they don't really get into it they don't want to make that part of the film so then why have it at all two Uh, The police brutality scene, if you wanted to give it impact, you really got to play that one up a little bit more and give it that kind of like um, intense dose that you didn't. They Disney-fied that scene. Um, You know, we already talked about the extreme bigotism in order to make all of the uh, smaller bigotism uh, and... Um, systemic racism not seem so bad. Um, but again, I mean, that those parts aren't aging well. The certain comments about um, gay people that are all, all strewn through this or, you know, any parts of this, you know, for being a period piece, this did not age well at all. And it's, little- not, it's not even like a full 10 years yet. I know, which is a little surprising because the director is gay. I know they're trying to show the opinions of that time, but like, it's not a movie about um, gay people. We're not doing milk. So why throw that in there? Other than you're doing it for comedic effect, at which point it loses any meaning anyway. Yeah, no, Tate Taylor was... um... Uh, is is a, a uh, is gay, um, 
has been a long-term relationship with a, a producer in Hollywood. So I don't know. Um, apparently he didn't have a problem with some of the jokes or I don't know. But Well, I know that we're in a different place where like these jokes were much more commonplace. And again, this movie happened before like the national tone had even changed on um, being LGBT friendly, let alone um, in the way that we're currently on. I mean, we're a couple of days removed from um, employment protection decisions um, and a few years removed even from basically the complete um, opinion flip on gay marriage. But um, yeah. even so, it's it, it just you you. <sighs> I didn't think this was would age as poorly or poorly as it did. So, what did you have? I had a two. Uh, I had a four. I I have a very difficult time. I mean, I reserve my right to give twos to films like um, um, Saint Almost Fire. <laughs> oh God! Uh, Again, we don't need to get into John Hughes films. You're dirtying the uh, water. Again. Maybe I was a little too harsh, and we've evened it out. To me, like, a zero or a one is, like, birth of a nation. So by that barometer, I'm probably too harsh. But then again, there are a lot of problems with this movie. So. Well, <clears throat> I've only seen pieces of it, so Bonfires of the Vanity, too, which a lot of people consider well, one of the worst. going to review that. Space. Why are you bringing all these weird films? Next, you're going to bring up Ishtar yet again. I liked it. So? I thought it was funny. Uh, all right. Now, this is going to be a, a category that I thought hard about this one. It's not a, a, a difficult, rewatchable movie. Um, it's an enjoyable and entertaining movie, so I graded it a little higher. I gave it a 7, but there's... Uh, a date and time. If we were to do this show five years from now, where this might be really cringy. So I reserve that that, that is going to be a uh, evolving number. But for right now, I'm going to say a seven. <clears throat> I, I rate this as a comfort movie. You know, I mean, is this movie uh, macaroni and cheese? All right. That's that's the standard. Is this a movie that if it's on TV and I'm having a bad day and it comes on, I, I'm going to sit and watch it for a few minutes because I'm going to feel better? It no. is not that. And it's not no. going to get any better. It's going to get worse. So I gave it a 5.5 for that reason. All right. If it's on, I'm gonna, I am gonna. got to be in the right frame of mind to watch it. I will let and that's it where I have a problem. To a full six. Because uh, you and I, we've this is the second time we've watched it. I don't know unless we do a revisit on this, which I doubt, unless it's to downgrade it even further. But I, since it's likely not going to end up in the top 100, and it might be at the bottom of our current list, which I didn't think uh, it would be a week ago. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to even need to revisit this one, but you know, okay. Uh, also, it has one of the lowest audience scores we have. It by far has the worst critic score of any of the movies we've reviewed so far. It had a 76, but the audience score was at 89. So 
Um, we got to add that piece in. So, uh, too bad we can't have that audience score by region. Well, <laughs> I just have a feeling that there was a this certain isn't the highest of the country had a lower score than another. This isn't the Heisman vote. So, uh, so anyway, that reaches it at a um, 34.65, which puts it way in dead last. Well, when you're giving it twos. <laughs> well, yeah, but like with a little bit of reason. Again, it, you know, there's a possibility that some films won't age well. I'm very considerate that there are a few films that uh, of like John Wayne in particular, where it's aggressively racist towards Native Americans that will not age well or Gone with the Wind or how about um, Streetcar Named Desire where there's a rape scene? Yeah, that that movie in particular is not going to play well in a Me Too world. No, because everybody didn't believe Blanche or uh, Blanche Dubois. Yeah. So. I mean, again, that's a different thing where some of the other categories might be higher, but the classicness on that one's going to be bad. Yeah. So anyway, um, yes, it is number 19 on our overall list. Um, almost a full six points behind Inglorious Bastards. Okay. And, and almost a full 20 points behind our current leader, Back to the Future. <sighs> so, uh, I like Back to the Future. I still am having a hard time with that being on the number one <laughs> on our board. Again, we, we're probably going to have some revisit episodes um, as well as some bonus content to kind of do this thing. So we'll we'll get somebody else in to discuss that film and uh, give it a give it a revisit um, to see where it's at. But as of right now, it's still the top one on the board. Again, a perfect score is sixty. So I doubt there is going to be a single sixty ever on the show. There are a couple of films I think could get close, but so. Well, we'll have to do so. There's going to be a few films that are going to be more cultish in nature, but just so you're aware, and I don't know if you saw this, but um, they're having that uh, movement out in Seattle with the uh, yes. Black Lives Matter. Somebody uh, created a fake account and tweeted out that there was an infighting, and they quoted from from uh, the Holy Grail. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and Fox, and Fox News picked it up, and, and this is being a uh, true story about infighting within the group out in Seattle. Yeah, well, given the fact that they were um, uh, doing doctored photos, picking up um, articles on hearsay and rumor, um, which a particular end of the dinner table um, highlighted last weekend, um, you know, yeah. I won't, I, I won't. Uh, say whom but yeah um so there there were some problematic pieces of that too so outside of that however um yeah so uh this takes us to our last piece and it's usually just our little finish up but um any um 
remaining questions. I really only have one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to what this movie was. And um, essentially, it's uh, why did the women feel that they could hide when all of their cars are in the frickin' driveway? <laughs> like, there are like 15 cars in a driveway, and they think by turning off the lights and hiding behind the furniture that she won't know we're here. You could have just ignored her. It would have been that much bigger. But like, ooh, we have to preserve our niceties and all. That doesn't make any sense. And frankly, in a certain way, it's a, a dichotomy or the epitome of what I don't get about certain white women. But that's just my personal thing. Yeah. You have to preserve a certain level of decorum. Okay, you do that. Uh, image is greater than substance. Yeah. Well, I wish we could talk more, but I'm expecting a friend for dinner. Um, join us next week again um, for a non-racial discussion on the movie Zodiac from 2005, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr., um, about uh, the Zodiac serial killer. Sounds like a riveting and uh, just absolutely uproarious laughter episode. Yeah. I can hardly wait. Um, I can say that it's going to be a really heart- light-hearted night. <laughs> anyway, as usual, always rate, subscribe, review. We appreciate any of the listener base reaching out to us. Uh, I repeat my earlier claim that uh, if we said something ignorant, uh, offensive, or otherwise, please write into the show. I will give you space. Uh, you can do a pre-recorded message, whatever you'd like. Um and we'll give you some airspace for that because we're two privileged um, middle-class white guys. So we're bound to have gotten something wrong. So anyway. And feel free. Every, you have my email address. If somebody is out there would love to sit down and educate me, I will let you. I really <laughs> would. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Till next week, have a great week, everybody. <laughs>